Welcome to Outside the Tank, the first podcast in the world that interviews the entrepreneurs featured on Shark Tank. We get the inside scoop on how they got there, what lessons they learned, their biggest regrets, what didn't air on TV, what has happened to them since, and so much more. Prepare to be informed, inspired, and entertained. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. OTT, we're here again, and we have a great dude on. His name is Daniel Lentz, and he was on several years ago with this great product. I own a dog. Season 10, episode 10, original air date, 1-13-19. Aquapaw. Clean your dog. You got a big dog. He Aquapaw. Just got... Aqua? Aqua. 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 Aquapaw. You say aqua, I say aqua. <laughs> well, I think e- it's aquapaw. Either way, you've got something in your hand that you can control. You can turn the water on and off. Your big dog, you have a big dog, right? Your dog uh, is what, three, about 107 pounds? Three pounds uh, and three quarter ounces wow. on, a, on, a, on a good day. Soaking wet. A soaking wet chihuahua. I have a Labrador, 107 pound Labrador. He goes out in the backyard, gets muddy. Daniel's product, aquapaw. Cleans that dog off. You can run the dog in the house. Everything and, is good. And and their differentiation on the product was with one hand, you could turn it on, turn it off. Yep. Okay. So that was the, the big difference. They had said other stuff was out there, but that was the difference. They filed a utility patent. We'll obviously ask if they received that patent. They valued the company at uh, somewhere around $3 million. They were asking for $200,000 um, for 7.5%. Uh, the product retails for twenty four ninety nine. They were selling direct to consumer. Uh, they were also selling through Uncommon Goods, um, a well known retailer. So, did they get a deal? Well, let's talk about what happened first. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I'm really. This is one I'm really looking forward to. You know, I have some questions. Here. Yeah, we have some <laughs> questions for you. So, you know, what we do before we, you know, bring on uh, one of the entrepreneurs is we watch the pitch and then we have this conversation and then we bring them on. So we're we're juiced right now because yeah. we just watched this one and I'll tell you, it was one of those. You're just oh, you know, you want them to take the deal and they ultimately didn't. But let me let me walk through what happened here. Um, And again, they're trying to create this ecosystem of products, but right now they just have the pet bathing tool. Robert comes in 200,000 for 25%. So they wanted 200,000 for 7.5%. Robert says, I'll do the 200,000. I want 25% valuing the company at $800,000. He eventually jumped to 30% because after Lori and Mark were out, Damon said 200,000 for 30%. Bethany then said, Bethany Frankel um, of your favorite beverage, Skinny Girl, Skinny Girl Margarita. Right. Bethany said 200000 for 30%. And what she said that was interesting is I'll endorse the product. So she has the big social media following. You know, I'll post the video of cleaning up. And she wanted her dog. dogs, Biggie and Small. In the in the ads, so there you go. So we have three offers. Uh, Tom, who was Daniel's business partner, that was also involved, and we'll find out the relationship there. Beth and Damon, uh, they had asked if Beth and Damon would do a deal. That ticked off Robert, so he went out. Okay, um, then they tried to get Damon down, which made Beth go. Actually, out. they asked him to partner. They asked uh, Damon. 
and Beth to partner. I just said that. Oh, I, I missed it. I'm sorry. You're you're not listening. I hope our I hope our I hope our <laughs> listeners listen better than better than you do. I was reading my notes. I'm sorry. Okay, well I took better notes than you. <laughs> Head up. Listen. Listen, Bazello. All right. So let's go through this one more time. Beth and Damon, uh, they ask him to partner, but they wanted to do the deal at 30%. That upsets Robert. He's out. Then they tried getting Damon to be in, um, but then that upset Beth. So now we're down to Damon. They said, Damon, will you go below 30% in terms of your equity ask? And he says, no. And so then Daniel and Tom said, all right, we can't do this deal. So we have a ton of questions for them. Um, we're both looking at it like, oh, why couldn't you do the deal? That seems yeah. like a good partner and it's a shark. And But there's they, a reason. Yeah, and We're going to get to the bottom of this. They know something we don't know. So interested to talk to Daniel. Your, your favorite co-hosts are also business detectives. Yes. And we will get to the bottom of this. Yes, so I have a magnifying glass right here. So <laughs> now you have the full story. It's time to bring on our guest, Daniel Lentz of Aquapaw Pet Bathing Tool. Looking forward to this one. Absolutely. Daniel, welcome. Daniel Lentz, uh, founder of Aquapaw, uh, appeared on Shark Tank. Glad to have you with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And so talk to us a little bit about the run-up to the experience of being on the show. Uh, yeah, so I think... Uh, a lot of people who have started a company can relate in that you sort of take a leap of, of faith starting your own company. Yeah. Um, and basically when Shark Tank reaches out to you, it's probably one of the uh, most amazing emails you can receive, right? Um, some people reach out to Shark Tank. We were lucky enough that a producer reached out to us. And Wow, that's interesting. I, so we hadn't heard that before. So they actually reached out to you and said you looked interesting? Yeah, and uh, interesting backstory. We because of our project on Kickstarter, I believe that their producers they have individuals that basically go through Kickstarter and and pick projects that might be interesting for Shark Tank, and I believe that's what happened to us. Interesting. So yeah, tell us tell us all about the lead up of so they reach out to you and how do you end up on the show? Um, I mean, yeah, they reach out to me. Basically, I, I like scream to the ceiling when I see that email and I go, you know, spend four hours writing a two sentence email back to them saying, we'd love to, uh, you know, we'd love to talk more about it, blah, 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 whatever. Um, and it's a long process getting onto the show. Certainly I, I'm sure you've talked to other people, you, you know, yeah. they, they paired us with a couple of producers and they were great. They, they helped uh, me and my partner, Tom, to prepare for the show. Um, you do a practice pitch that they, um, you know, put in sort of a competition with other uh, companies that they're considering and they pick the winners. And then you're sort of in that second tier where they'll work with you all the way up until they're filming. And I don't know the ins and outs, but I think that they are basically uh, whittling down the companies during this entire process where they might have a producer, they might be a conflict of interest or whatever else. So you could be kicked out of the process at any point, but we, we were lucky enough that we made it all the way uh, to, um, you know, shooting at the uh, studios. And then once you were on the air, how long were you actually in the tank for in, in real time minutes? And uh, was there anything remarkable that happened that, that didn't air? Yeah, it, it's funny. Everybody says it, it's, it, you're, you go into a time warp. I think we were on there for 
45 minutes. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, obviously, our episode, I think we're on for like seven or eight minutes. Um, but you go out there and I think having done it myself, it, you're so nervous that we practiced our pitch uh, at least a thousand times. I don't even know. Um, and I, it's hard not to have those um you know, the nervousness, right? Like, I don't know if there's any way to get around that, but I think one lesson I would learn, I, I, I would go back and maybe spend a bit more time practicing in front of people that aren't like my friends and family, but people who like, I don't know, perhaps like somehow get over that hump of nervousness, people that are judging you and, and whatever else, but as much practice as you can do there is always beneficial. So. What was your uh, original intention? You went in with guns blazing in terms of evaluation, yeah. which is good for you. Yeah. And obviously there was some pushback on the valuation, but uh, what was the primary purpose that you invested the kind of time and money uh, over that X number of months, six months, 10 months uh, run up? What was the original intention of going on the show? Yeah, I would say we probably could have done a bit more serious research into that. And, and maybe we were a little green there with our valuation. Um, we came in very high. We had, I had spoken to a few individuals about it and, and they, they had pumped us up, I think. And to be honest, we had a number in our head of where we would take a deal and we obviously didn't hit that. Um, and I'm not upset about it at all. I, I, because our show aired, we have no regrets, right? Had, had it, had our episode not aired, we, we might look back upon it, you know, a little bit regretfully, but our, our valuation was certainly high. Um, I think we were lucky that we got three offers, right? Because we could at least sort of salvage um, our, at least our story there. I, I would hate to leave without any offers. Um, but we, we really thought we were worth more. Uh, and I think maybe, you know, one lesson I've learned as well is that we didn't do a good enough job telling our story of how we wanted to grow the company, like in specific perhaps images and visuals of like the other products that we were planning on developing. And that was one point where you just couldn't tell that story fully to the sharks. And I, I believe if we had, we, we might have gotten that valuation to the point where we felt like we could make a deal because as a product developer, you know, we had ideas, we just hadn't created those beautiful renderings to show them and say, Hey, look at this whole collection of items that we're planning on developing. Um, you know, we're, we're worth what, Maybe not what we were asking for when we walked out there, but certainly more than what they offered. So, um, yes, I know that was one one learning we had. And so, you had you had mentioned an ecosystem of products being on the way. So what you're saying is, hey, I should have sketches, prototypes, something to really paint yes. a picture for what was next. Yes, and I, I mean, you guys probably saw this, but we filmed essentially mid-year in the, like before we actually started delivering products. So we hadn't actually delivered to anybody. We had a, a solid, I think we had like $275,000 in sales. And that's maybe prior to, or a little after we delivered our first units. So it was perhaps a little early. I mean, if we could have planned it, we would have, we would have pitched maybe six months after that. Um, but we, we just delivered our product. We were focused on it almost entirely. So it was in that, just in the fact we didn't have the time to develop or, or, or show, you know, imagery of, of other products we're working on. Um, we had to focus on our one pet bathing tool. So it didn't, um, I don't think it came across. And I mean, that just the way it aired that it was that early. So that's actually surprising to know. 
Um, what, tell us about your Kickstarter experience, because I, I think for entrepreneurs that are listening to this or folks that want to create a product, what was the Kickstarter experience like for you? What did you learn? How did it help you? Yeah, ours was unique. And I think we learned a lot. We have, we have some really, I think, great lessons that I could share. And the first one is we had no idea what we were doing, to be honest. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. I just wanted to do a Kickstarter campaign. I, I knew I had a great product. And so I thought, let's do it. Our email list was minuscule. I mean, anybody who's done a Kickstarter campaign knows you need thousands, ideally tens of thousands of emails that you can just start with, just to like even start talking to people about doing a campaign. And we didn't, we sort of jumped into it, took, you know, went into it, um, not knowing anything. And I, I, I did that on purpose just to learn. Um, I would recommend get some marketing help. It's sometimes expensive to bring in a marketing team, like a, a marketing firm. And there, there are a lot of them out there, but I think we would have benefited by doing that. Um, but we, we did our Kickstarter camp campaign. It's, they're hard. They're very tough, very difficult. You're emailing a thousand times a day, it seems like. And we completed our campaign and we, we barely got over our goal. And then our project went viral two months later on some media publishing, you know, online publishing website posted our Kickstarter video. And we, we had a 3000 orders in a week. Wow. <laughs> I just, I was Down kicking myself and I was like, what, what are we doing wrong? And I, <clears throat> I don't know the answer there, but I think, had I gone back and thought about it, we would, I would have taken our Kickstarter video. I would have done a lot of quick edits. I would have sent it out to all like the, the big online, like um, Cheddar is one. I can't think of them on the top of my head, but there's like media companies that all they do is post really interesting, fun videos about products. And I would have sent our video out to all of them during our Kickstarter campaign or before it. And we just didn't align on that stuff. So it's sort of the uh, steps us, you know, being successful weren't necessarily uh, typical as far as like, you want to go viral during the Kickstarter campaign. And we, we did that afterwards. How, how did you build the prototype? Did you build something by hand? Did you hire someone to create something? Where did the, the concept and design come from? Yeah, so that's what I do. Like that's, that's my core competency as a professional before Aquapaw. That's what I was doing is developing products for other companies. Um, and so those prototypes I had made personally doing all like the CAD the uh, 3D printing of prototypes, uh, casting of the silicone uh, glove part, like our product has a silicone um, cover to it. Um, I basically engineered the uh, button mechanism that we used inside it. So I guess we were lucky in that way that I could handle all of that. It, the upfront costs there were pretty low, a lot of time invested. Um, but I did all that uh, based on myself. And then we worked um, my partner, Tom helped a little bit. And then we also just partnered with some engineering firms just to sort of check what we were doing and making sure that we were doing, you know, our product wasn't going to explode. You know, they kind of went through our, our design work and, and, and made sure it, it was going to work. So you're in transition now, Daniel, uh, you've, and share what you can, you've sold the company su successfully, uh, at the, uh, end of, uh, 2020, what can you share with us about where the company evolved to prior to the sale? Did you, were you able to add SKUs, expand the product line? Did you have to raise any money? Was your cap table intact when you sold? What, what led up to uh, the sale post your appearance on Shark Tank? Yeah, um, our, I, our story might be unique in that we never took on any investment or funding. Um, I, am, I you know, had 
signed away some equity to people who jumped in and helped me out. But basically, I stayed the you know majority owner, or it was owned by the employees of Aquaball the entire time. And because of that, and me not having a ton of money on my own, we sort of had to grow organically. And so we 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 didn't take on a lot of investment. We had a, a really great growth rate, um, but it was sort of like a consistent growth rate. Uh, and we were able to expand our, our product line into uh, five SKUs before we sold. Um, we, we created a peanut butter feeding device where you smear peanut butter into it and you stick it to your shower wall. <laughs> people loved it. Um, that actually, volume wise, we sold more of those than we ever did of our pet bathing tool. Um, we had a lot of customers reach out to us asking for a horse bathing product. So we did a horse bathing item. We, we, we had people asking for a more higher end pet bathing product. So we, then we designed and developed our Aquapaw Pro. Um, and so between all those items, we were able to grow the, uh, grow the brand to like a nice niche sort of pet bathing product brand. And we were very, um, a lot of our sales came through Amazon. And so Amazon's growth has been so incredible. And there's a lot of companies that are, um, you know, buying up brands in the Amazon space. And, and we sort of fit the bill as far as what those companies should look like. Um, strong reviews on Amazon, a lot of reviews on Amazon and uh, good branding. And so I sort of, we, we just decided that it was time. And so we decided to sell the company. Are there any major issues or pitfalls to selling on Amazon? Or is it just that they're so big and everyone goes there that whether you like it or not, you have to be there and you have to have a great presence? My opinion on it, and I don't know if everybody agrees with me, is that you have to be there. You have to be on it. If I could start another company, and I very well might do that, I would actually base it on Amazon. And the reason being is it's easy. Amazon makes it so incredibly easy to sell. The um, uh, you know, and in line with that, it's also a place where you can be copied very easily and quickly. So that's one pitfall. But certainly, I would base my business strategy on Amazon. Amazon is where I would b- try to funnel all of our sales. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's as far as I can tell, like my experience with Amazon is it's only going to grow. And it scares me how efficient and effective they are in helping companies sell more stuff. And so I, I mean, I, I've invested in Amazon. I think that, that it's just going to keep growing substantially. So the show airs, what happens in the 48 hours after it airing for you and the business? So, uh, okay. Leading up to that, we, we, okay. We filmed, I guess, since um, September, 2017, we were supposed to air spring 2018 Michelle Obama had a book signing event. So they canceled our shark tank. So (laughs) like we got the email saying you're going to air in a month. And we were so excited. We had like sent out emails, planned it all out. And then Michelle Obama had a book signing. And so just so incredibly deflated. So we had, we had to wait another six months for our show to air. Um, And I believe it didn't air until spring. I haven't checked actually. January 13th of 2019. Exactly. Okay. So 2019. So 18, so it aired 18 months after you wow. filmed it. Exactly. So that's why there's like this big discrepancy on like what we looked like and what we actually were as a company, but it's amazing. It is one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had. 
Um, watching yourself on TV is amazing. I would say actually the filming is incredible, but you know, it doesn't mean anything until it airs, right? Like you can tell people about it, but everyone's seeing on TV. Um, but I think as a business, it's essentially like winning the lottery and um, sales go through the roof. I mean, it's, it's amazing. We did, I think in a couple of days, what we would do in the entire Christmas season, you know? So, and as a small growing company, it's just really amazing for that to happen. So you had, you're in there for 45 minutes. They're obviously giving you uh, advice. They're asking you questions. What were some things that, you know, as you process that conversation and ran to the back that you were like, Hey, we need to go do this or go do that. As we ran to the back, like during the episode, you mean, I, I, always, like, you see, I always picture myself being on there and, and hearing like 15 pieces of advice. So I'm like, I have to do that. So running back as quickly as I can, like scribbling them down or putting them in my phone before I, before they lose my, yeah, come out of my mind. Yeah. So yeah. I'm just curious, was there anything that you were like, oh, well, you know, I know someone on, on the part that aired mentioned, you know, packaging, like, is there anything that you were like, we have to do this as quickly as possible? Uh, I mean, for us, I, I weirdly, no, I don't remember that. Like it's such an adrenaline packed experience that, uh, I remember walking off out of the studio and you, you, it's dark. Like you've been in this dark studio for four hours and you walk out into daylight in Los Angeles and it's just like a smack in the face. You're like, what just happened? I don't even, I don't even know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure I took some notes, but I think for us, I mean, you having watched our episode, you know, that we didn't get a deal. So I think we were a little bit like, wait, was that the right thing? And then you haven't aired yet. So for, I'll be honest, it was like a weird sort of um, a little bit depressing, but not because I didn't feel like the show went poorly. It's just because it's such a huge buildup. You've got so much adrenaline that you've got to come down from that. And for me- Was there right after you walked off when you turned Damon Johns down, was there a feeling or uh, an air of regret on on your head? I guess a little bit, you couldn't help but think, you know, what, what would it be like? Um, I'll be honest and say, I spoke to a lot of people and I don't know if the people I spoke to all just sort of aligned with this thinking, but they didn't have good experiences with their deals on Shark Tank um, overall. And for whatever reason, the deal fell through, or perhaps they, you know, they took an investment, signed away a large portion of their company and they didn't get much in return. And for me, I, if I really thought hard about it, I ended up not regretting it because a third of Aquapaw would have been quite a bit of equity. And in hindsight, even now, I don't regret it at all. Actually, it, we felt better and better about it as the days went on after the. Yeah, the that's day. good to hear. That's good to hear. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of companies have gotten great investments and has really exploded their business. And for us, um, you know, you never know, but I, I don't think it, it would have, we would have had that experience. I think it, we would have probably been more regretful about taking the deal. Well, good. So you feel in in wrapping up, you you feel like you have a tremendous. We we talked off off camera uh, before we went on air, and you feel like you have some incredible core expertise in this product development area, and that's really where you want to spend a little time. Can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think one one reason we sold the company is because my my day to day was not. I'm a creative person in in the end. And I think my day-to-day had become a lot of management, um, logistics, sales, um, 
you know, just organizing the business and and running numbers. And I think I got to a point where I was like, I, I'm ready for something new. And so we sold. And I think for me now, that's um, that's where I'm at, just sort of in a transition period, taking some time off, certainly, but also thinking about what's next as far as like product development. I think that's what I love. That's what I'd like to get back into is uh, identifying a problem or an opportunity in a marketplace and thinking about product-wise, how can you solve those problems? And then developing those products and creating things that people are going to love, you know? And so, so during, am I correct in, in assuming, Daniel, that during most of the development of uh, the company, you felt like you were playing out of position to some degree? Certainly, I enjoyed learning. And I guess just to elaborate a little bit there, I felt like I'd learned everything I was going to learn at, at Aquapaw. And I, I can now run a business legitimately. I know how to do that. And so I, I really cherish that. But what I enjoy doing, I wasn't doing anymore. And um, I think as, you know, for me personally, you got, you got to love what you do or else you aren't going to be great at it. And if I were somebody who loved being in spreadsheets and creating really perfect, you know, P&L statements at the end of the month, perhaps I would do that. But I, I don't. And I realize that. I don't know if I probably would have known that before getting into all this. But, um, yeah. So I think you kind of, you kind of got to take a step back, realign and, and, and get back into um, something that focuses more on, on, on what you love to do. And, and for me, I'm lucky enough to be good at it as well. So. so there's a big time lesson in here for entrepreneurs in terms of how they spend their time. But for you, when you were doing those things that didn't involve building and creating new products and you were doing the manage the salesperson or worrying about the financials or doing marketing, whatever those other aspects are, what did that do to you over time? I think initially it's exciting. I mean, you enjoy those things. It's the first time you've done it. Um, for me over time, I think I was losing that skill set that I, I was so good at in that, you know, as a project developer, you're, you're doing a lot of sketching. You're, you're, you know, you, you need to keep your knowledge, um, you know, continuing to, to learn about your industry and, and what's going on, like 3D printing processes or new molding techniques or, or new production uh, techniques that our company, companies are using. And I wasn't able to focus on that. didn't have enough time to continue to learn and, and think about that as much as I wanted to in the past. So, yeah, your um, core, your core expertise, I call it your genius work, your genius work really exists in this creative place where you're uh, you're doing a, a line drawing, you're taking it to the next phase of prototype development. And those skills are eroding because you're working with a spreadsheet or you're involved in business development. So yeah, I, I get that. So Tim Cook, if you're listening, uh, here's the next Johnny Ives right here. <laughs> oh yeah, okay, yeah, certainly Apple. <laughs> and, and, and so that, that'll lead into, you know, my last question, which is, you know, are, do you have ideas? Do you have things that you're starting to develop? Do you think there's going to be another product, another Kickstarter and another business? Or do you want to, you know, go play for, for a bigger team and, and create products? What, what do you think the future holds? For me, I think right now it's up in the air. I, I mean, because of Aquapaw, I still have, you know, based like a 3D printer in my garage and, and I'm still able to I'm actually prototyping stuff right now that I think could be really <laughs> interesting and doing some research into different markets and thinking about it. Also reaching out to companies that I think are 
are, are really interesting and have a, a large amount of potential. And, um, you know, discussing the possibility of joining a, a, a company again, but um, I like fast moving entrepreneurial environments, but also I enjoy working with like other smart people too. So um, I think I'm lucky and I'm flexible and, and have some time to think about it, but really just, it's sort of up in the air and looking for um, the next opportunity that would, would be exciting to be honest. You know, I think um, that's really what you're looking for is just an exciting adventure professionally and perhaps also profitable in the end. So. Well, you're in a great place. I, uh, it's been fun talking to you, Daniel. And obviously, there, you're in a, a very small percentage of all entrepreneurs and founders that bring a product or a number of products, five products to fruition, really build a company and sell that company successfully. That, that's really a very small percentage of everyone who starts a race. So congratulations for that. If someone wanted to get a hold of you, how would they get a hold of you? Uh, thank you for the congratulations. I really appreciate that. And and certainly, if anybody want to get in touch with me, uh, LinkedIn is a great way to do it. You can search my name, Daniel Lentz. And then, of course, email lentz3 at gmail.com and um, Google Aquapal. I don't know. <laughs> There's plenty of ways to reach out. Well, I, I, there aren't many people walking the streets that were on Shark Tank that carried themselves so well to, to Joe's point that, you know, we're able to build multiple successful products and had an exit that didn't involve, you know, the business going out of business, but a successful <laughs> exit. We, we, we yeah. like good exits better than bad exits. <laughs> I know. And certainly I really appreciate that. We, we feel a bit lucky. You know, they say uh, success is, is uh, a lot of hard work and a little bit of luck too. And we, we certainly put, you know, got some, some luck along the way. So I'm glad to be in this position. Well, uh, congratulations again to you and your partner, uh, Tom Ziprian and Aquapa, who was also on the show. And uh, this was fun. This was good. It was great. Yeah, we, we appreciate the time and uh, we'll look forward to hearing all about your journey. And when you create the next business, we're going to bring you back on to talk about <laughs> it as a... Uh, It'll be outside, outside the tank. Yes, yes. <laughs> awesome. Great. I can't wait. Thanks a lot for your time, guys. I really appreciate it. This has been awesome. All right. That was our interview with uh, Daniel Lentz, uh, Aquapaw, sold the business successfully. That was a fun interview. Great interview. Good guy. Intelligent guy. Maybe playing out a position a little bit. Well, it's, it's interesting because, you know, you have to figure out where your strengths lie as an entrepreneur. So, you know, one of the things we work with entrepreneurs on are the 10 core areas of running a business like marketing and sales and people, operations, and operations, talent. strategy, <laughs> talent. Okay. So you can't be great at all of those things. And so you have to figure out what am I great at? What's the best use of me inside of my business? And then how do I start to outsource those other tasks? How can I create that team around me yeah. that and accentuates my strengths and mitigates my weaknesses. And, and the team can be part-time employees. They can be full-time people. They can be people that you find on uh, you know, freelance websites. They can be companies that do fractional work. You know, it, if you know where to look, there are so many incredible resources to affordably and effectively connect with experts in given areas. But if you think, oh, I'm going to be everything to this business and be involved in everything, initially, sure. 
But at some point, if you want to grow, you've got to be willing to find trusted people. You've got to identify and recognize what your strengths are and weaknesses are. We're co-founders, co-CEOs of Growth10. There are things I do maybe better than you and, and vice versa. A lot of yeah. things you do better than me. No. <laughs> Okay, no, I'm gotcha. just kidding. No, okay. no, no. But post game, no, no. That's that's that is a, a nice part of our partnership is that you know there are absolutely things that you do better, absolutely things that I do better. I think we're good at looking at a particular task or area or item and quickly you know knowing who the right person is. I don't think there's ever been a tug of war over a certain aspect of the business where it didn't naturally fit one of us better than the other. But um, important to really understand what drives you, what gives you energy for. Daniel, it was really building and creating things, which sounds impossible to me, <laughs> but for a guy like him, that's what he needs to be doing. Yeah. So um, as always, we're going to do our uh, whiteboard session on what we learned uh, from the entrepreneur that's going to help the aspiring entrepreneurs and the veteran entrepreneurs all alike that are listening to this. Let's go to the board. So okay. go to the board. What so, do you have? Um, one of the things he said is he'd, he'd have done more research on valuation. They came in with a very high valuation. He had a lot of people squawking at him, keep your valuation high. They overshot. He'd do yeah, he wanted close to $3 million for a product that was relatively new. So one product company, untested, low sales, and he got massive pushback on that. Uh, also, he felt like he went in too early he wishes that they could have had the Shark Tank appearance after a second or third skew was added because they weren't able, they really didn't tell the story in his opinion. They didn't really paint the bigger picture of what Aquapaw would become. And then in addition to that, um, they went on Kickstarter and he said, I did, we didn't have any idea what we were doing. They, they had a target of 42,000, they raised 42,000. But one of the things I heard very clearly is they went in without really doing a lot of research on how to maximize Kickstarter. They went in with a very small email list and they got away with it. Uh, but you can't go in with 14 people on your email list. You need tens of thousands to really make Kickstarter work. Um, he also talked about the ease of working with a company like Amazon. I know uh, you have that same point. Well, why don't you, yeah, well, you, know, you don't worry about my list. I won't worry about your list. <laughs> I'm Quit doing what you always do, stealing all my ideas. <laughs> By the way, the Outside the Tank podcast, my idea. BS. Not his idea. Okay. Uh, also, we already talked about this, just playing out of position. I would have loved, and Daniel, by the way, played out of position and did a very good job of playing out of position. He did everything right. They had a successful sale of the company. It's a great ending to that story, that juncture, that season of his life. Now he's on to whatever will be next. But boy, playing out of position is hard. Uh, at some point in time, it will erode some of your core competency. So you have to watch that. All right, let okay. me take. Let me give you my takeaways here. I like this point right here. Okay. Do you like <laughs> Do you like that point because that's as high as you can reach? <laughs> I'm do, you only, like, do you like the top? Idea? By the way, I'm only five two. <laughs> he's we, there, he's standing on a platform over here. So all right, <laughs> number one. You got to sell the vision. So and it, and look, whether it's sharks or it's investors or it's venture capital or whoever, if you're looking for people to stroke you a check, right? Even if you're looking for an SBA loan, you need to be able to sell the vision. And I think that's a mistake that he admitted was, hey, if I would have walked in there saying, this is our business, this is what we're doing. We're really proud of this product. Here's the ecosystem we're going to build around that customer with a pet. Here's products one through 
through five. It's similar people, similar, uh, you know, cost, cost to build, and we can roll those out in X period of time. Even if you're guessing a little bit, still be able to really get people excited for the vision. Um, you know, another thing that you got to make sure your product is different enough. So they really emphasized on the show this being able to stop start with a hand, one hand was a differentiator. Was it different enough? Hopefully. Was it obvious enough on the packaging and messaging? I don't know. So yeah, so I think the lesson to be learned is make sure that if you're if you're going into a space where something already exists and that happens often in business, make sure that you're different enough. We work with entrepreneurs and have come across a lot of entrepreneurs over the past few years. Joe, they're not different enough. And, and we just politely cringe because what our fear is that, how are you gonna stick out in the marketplace? You're not way cheaper, you're not way higher end, you're Benefits and features aren't way different. So, you know, I think they were different enough, but I, I just And some I, of those and some of those same folks that aren't different enough also spend a ton of money uh, advertising and on digital marketing without getting the bang for the buck because again there's nothing that creates a moat around their business. Their second product sold more than their first product. Yes. And what what's the lesson to be learned there? Everyone loves peanut butter. Okay. Here, here's another one. Joe's a little punchy yeah. right now because it's lunchtime and he hasn't ate yet. So uh, uh, The only thing between me and a sandwich is getting done with this post game. The answer to your question is inside every business, there's a better business. Yeah. So people cannot get, entrepreneurs cannot fall in love with their pro first product thinking, this is it. This is what we're going to do. Not that they weren't successful with that, but the second product was more successful. So continue to innovate. Don't assume that what you start with is where you're going to end up. And it was a peanut butter dispensing machine. All dogs love peanut butter. I also loved, hey, if I'm going to start another business, I want to really base it around Amazon. So there's nothing wrong with starting with the end in mind and saying, okay, the end goal is to sell this on Amazon, have them fulfill the orders, have them store inventory in their warehouse. Let me figure out what is underserved on Amazon. Uh, you know, what are people looking for that there's no good answer for? Um, this was a while ago, so I'm sure it's gotten way better, but I, I'd heard of a few years ago, different software that could tell you who searches for what on Amazon. So what you could do is you could go, okay, what are some of the top searches that maybe there's not a great product for that I could be different than? So I, I thought that was yep. really good. Um, you already hit on doing the genius work, that was great. And, you know, the last thing was this idea of, you know, you gotta love something if you're going to be great at it. And so, you know, as an entrepreneur, we have to focus on what are we great at? What's our secret sauce? What, you know, where is our best time and energy spent in the business and everything else? Eventually you got to get off your plate. You know what I'm great at? I, I, I have no idea. Making you look good. That's true. <laughs> All right. So as always, make sure to subscribe to Outside the Tank. Make sure to follow us on all social media platforms at Outside Tank. And remember, OutsideTheTank.com is where you can get access to our book for free. And if you have an idea or you have a scaling business and you want a little bit of Joe and Tom time to whiteboard some things, talk through things, 
you can schedule that at outside the tank. You know, we, don't, we don't mention this much, but the show is sponsored by Growth 10, a company we own. And at Growth 10, all we do is sit around talking to great entrepreneurs and helping them with their business. Yeah, That's what we, we do. We love this work. We love the, the groups of entrepreneurs that have formed throughout the country that are all part of the Growth 10 community. So we appreciate you listening. We appreciate the support of the show. Subscribe, five stars, follow us. I'm Tom. That's Joe. Thank you so much.